We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Okay, so I thought just to start off with if you could tell us like your name and a little bit about your background and um, yeah, your kind of expertise in, in Latin American politics. Okay, um, so my name is Federico Fuentes. I've been following Latin American politics roughly for about the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Argentina, although I grew up here in Australia and first sort of really started following politics over in the region, uh, most, most more intensely sort of following the, the uprising in Argentina at the end of 2001, um, which saw something like five presidents kicked out of power within the space of a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, since, since that time, I've sort of uh, kept tracing politics first Argentina, um, then moving to to study Venezuela a fair bit, particularly following the attempted coup against then President Hugo Chavez in 2002, uh, and then started fo- closely following Bolivia since about 2003 with the uh, October uprising that overthrew Gonzalo Sanchez uh, de la Sada. So essentially since then I've been following Bolivia pretty closely, writing for it for various publications, writing chapters about it in, in various books, um, and also for a period of time running a, a blog called Bolivia Rising. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so I want to talk a bit about what's happened in Bolivia in like recent weeks, but I thought maybe we'd start off um, with a kind of bigger picture narrative. So if you can tell us maybe um, who Evo Morales is and particularly why his election to the presidency in 2006 was uh, such a huge shift in Bolivian politics. Okay. So Evo Morales really uh, comes from the the Coca Growers Union uh, in the Chapare, mm. uh, which is located in the central department of, of Cochabamba in Bolivia. The Coca Growers, uh, throughout the 80s and 90s, uh, in particularly the 90s, um, really came to be one of the more, uh, both most well organised, but also symbolically most important social movements in the country. Um, Bolivia is very often commonly associated with coca, cocaine, uh, US war on drugs. So really the coca growers, particularly those located in the Chapari, were at the forefront of uh, imperialist intervention into Bolivia, particularly via the Drug Enforcement Agency, leading to numerous clashes uh, between the coca grower unions, um, Bolivian police and military and, and DEA officials. Uh, what the coca growers really, and in particular Evo Morales, learned through their struggle um, was that they understood, they came to the conclusion that the problem, if they were going to solve the problem that they were facing in their day-to-day lives, what they needed to do was to get rid of the politicians that were making the bad laws. Mm. So from a trade union, these the coca growers decide to first form an alliance with other predominantly indigenous and peasant-based organisations um, around the country. Through that alliance, launch a political party, um, which took the name Movement Towards Socialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through a process of combining ongoing trade union organising, community organising, uh, indigenous organising, uh, together with uh, running in election campaigns, the coca growers go from winning a couple of seats 
uh, in Cochabamba uh, in, in the early 2000s, uh, coming second in the presidential elections of Evo Morales as their candidate in 2002, uh, irradiating their support uh, into urban areas uh, and starting to collect support from um, largely indigenous cities like, for instance, El Alto, which sits right next to the capital, La Paz, uh, but also nearby Cochabamba City. Um, and you know, continue to build alliances with other social movements that by the time of the overthrow of Carlos Mesa in 2005 in a mass uprising over a question of, of who should control Bolivia's gas that paves the way to new elections, the movement towards socialism has consolidated itself as the number one political party in the country. As I said, a country that comes from the Coca Growers Union, that becomes a symbol of anti-imperialist struggle, a symbol of indigenous culture because of its connection with the coca leaf, um, that builds alliances with other social movements that continues to battle on the streets to, uh, to against uh, regressive laws, but that also seeks to uh, try and take power or seeks to advance its cause by running in, in, in elections and ultimately capturing governmental power. So that's, I think, that the origins of where Evo comes from and the significance of, of what his election in 2005 meant was that for the first time in Bolivian history, uh, you not only had an Indigenous president for the first time, and this is in a context where Indigenous people represent, depending on what figures you, you, you know you want to use, but anywhere from 40 to over 60% of the population um, uh, can be identified as Indigenous or self-identified uh, as Indigenous, and yet never had there been an Indigenous president. But more importantly, it wasn't just the fact that he was an Indigenous president, but he was an Indigenous president that came from a poor rural background, um, that had come through the ranks of a political party forged and built by indigenous movements, campesino movements, uh, urban poor movements, and that through the process of political struggle had been able to to obtain political office. So this was really groundbreaking uh, and, and, and as, as, as a symbolic um, example of just how groundbreaking was that Evo would won those elections in 2005 with, I think it was something like 54.7% of the vote, a vote that ne never before had any any presidential candidate uh, obtained. You know, no, no previous presidential candidate had got uh, been able to obtain more than 50% of the vote to, to win an election outright. Mm. So after he was elected, what was the kind of general trajectory of Evo's presidency? Like what were his priorities um, or the priorities of his government? The, the movement towards socialism's electoral campaign in the lead up to the 2005 elections, um, it, its platform was a very simple one, which was simply to, to, to gather up the demands, the key demands of the social movements that had been behind the 2003 and 2005 uprisings, which were primarily, not exclusively, but primarily the question of nationalisation or recuperation of control over, over gas as the country's main natural resource. Uh, not the only one, it also has, has many mineral resources, but gas had become a crucial uh, question uh, in, in these two uprisings. Com that side-by-side uh, -side of a demand for a new constitution for the convening of a constituent assembly in order to elect representatives from around the country to come together uh, in order to discuss and debate a new constitution that for the first time would you know, officially recognise uh, Indigenous rights, Indigenous people in the constitution and enshrine a whole, a whole lot of rights. 
that the social movements have been fighting for. So that was kind of like the, the big banners under which the movement towards socialism ran, combined with a lot of different uh, in, uh, sectoral agreements that it, it had signed with, um, it, with individual social movements, whether that be uh, neighbourhood committees in El Alto, uh, cooperative miners in, in, in Potosi, um, other other coca grower unions outside of outside of the, the Chapare, um, different sectors, the different trade union sectors as well that, that the movement towards socialism had tried to, to forge an alliance. So this is really then what it tries to do uh, in its first its first period in government is to move forward in that. And it does that firstly by uh, nationalising control over the gas resources, which is not not to be mistaken with expropriation of gas transnationals. That's not what occurred, but rather that the government decreed that all gas resources now belong to the state and so that existing contracts had to be renegotiated. Uh, transnationals would not necessarily be kicked out, but that it would be the state that would decide what gas could be extracted, who would extract it, and for what purposes. And that anyone who wanted to participate as partners in that um, could sign contracts with the state, but that ultimately the state would control the production process um, and it would decide what would happen in terms of extraction, production and exportation and ensure that the majority of the profits stayed within the country. It also convened a constituent assembly um, and a new constitution was was brought in, uh, in in 2009. So it complied with those two big demands. Of course, there have been discussions, debate about um, did this truly comply with what the social movements had been demanding? Some sectors felt that it didn't go far enough. Other sectors felt it went too far or had differences about what should have been in the Constitution or what, what was left out of the Constitution. But, of course, all of this was being carried out in the context of a fierce reaction that Evo Morales' election had provoked from the old traditional political class that essentially had been in power, that political class together with a, an economic class that felt that its, its interests were, were being impinged on by, by the Morales government unleashed a, a violent reaction which, which really sort of crescendoed um, with an attempt at a, at a coup against the Morales government just uh, three years into, into his mandate, but which was ultimately put down by mobilisations of social movements mm. who encircled the, the city of, of Santa Cruz, which was sort of in the east of Bolivia, the wealthier and generally more white, uh, more middle class area of, of the country where many of the gas companies have their offices based um, and which had been spearheading the campaign against Evo, the social movements mobilised into the, in, towards Santa Cruz to, to put down uh, this revolt that, that had been occurring. So yeah, that, that's sort of really how the government really tried to move forward in, in its big big overarching programs, mm. together with using the nationalisation of resources from the nationalisation of gas to promote many, many different social programs at, at the local level when it comes to education, healthcare and social security payments. Yeah, um, and as I understand it, like kind of one of the differentiations of Bolivia was that it was able to pursue this quite radical program of nationalisation while also, you know, growing the economy and poverty was you know, falling drastically. So in many ways, it was quite a stable functioning, you know, it didn't go down the, the route of, uh, say, Venezuela has recently or, or um, anything like that. The Venezuelan, uh, sorry, the, the Bolivian economy has, has often been praised 
by the World Bank because of the way it's being able to achieve, which is you know hardly hardly a left wing organisation, <laughs> um, but you know praised Bolivia for uh, both its its high level of growth and, and generally Bolivia's uh, had the highest growth rates for for the region, and that's even despite the fact that like many of the other economies in the region, it was firstly um, you know hit hard by the global financial crisis, then hit hard by the the, the drop in commodity prices that occurred a few years later, mm. and then subsequently has you know suffered some of the impacts of, of the global slowdown that, 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 that the rest of the world economy is facing. But despite that, you know, regularly, you know, Bolivia has been achieving three, four, you know, four and a half percent growth. Mm. And as you said, growth that has been primarily to the benefit of, of the poor. So we've seen dra- dramatic reductions in extreme poverty, reductions in poverty. We've seen more than a million Bolivians lifted out of, you know, what's generally referred to as lower economic class and in, into the middle middle class um, through, through this process of um, essentially a, an economic program that has, as I've said, sought to capture the, the profits, the wealth from the gas nationalisation and to a certain extent from mineral extraction as well and you uh, kept that wealth within the country through social programs but also for promoting other sectors of the economy the informal economy uh, tourism uh, agriculture in, in particular as well that you know, has really been propelling uh, this growth but as I said a growth that is, is not just that that is, is not a, a trickle down one but rather the opposite of growth mm. that's been based on grabbing grabbing that wealth from the top and redistributing it straight straight to the bottom yeah so um maybe if you could talk us through some some of the more like recent events um in bolivian politics maybe beginning uh with this this referendum that asks the public whether ever should be allowed to run uh, for a fourth term as, as president so eva morales was um first elected in 2005 the new constitution comes in in 2009 um Evo then runs again, and once the new constitution has been brought in in 2009, wins those elections with 64% of the vote, and then runs again in 2014 uh, and wins those elections with 60% of the vote. Under the new constitution that was voted on in 2009, elected officials are, are limited to two terms in government. So Evo had then obviously fulfilled his, fulfilled his two mandates. 2009 to, to 2014, 2014 to 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, however, many of the social movements in the mass felt that it was important to secure a way for Morales to be able to run again, understanding that um, beyond all of the stuff that we've talked about, about the progressive social and economic um, sort of policies that the government implemented, perhaps the most important aspect of what's occurred over these last 14 years is the real sense of empowerment and sense of dignity that Indigenous people have won, and which can't be reduced to, but cannot also can't be ignored that part of it is the fact that for the first time they have one of their own in the presidential palace so that's built an extremely strong bond between that majority indigenous population particularly rural indigenous population who you know having gone from being completely marginalized from politics altogether and now see someone just like them in in the in the presidential palace so the, the social movements the mass say we need to find a way to get evo to be able to run again in 2019 because uh, we want evo to be our candidate mm. um 
in 2016, they call a referendum to try to change that article in the Constitution. That referendum, however, is narrowly defeated, roughly 49 to 51%. It's a very, very close vote. But that that result is accepted. The, the, the movement towards socialism, even Morales, the government, say, look, we, we lost that referendum, so we, we, we move ahead. The following year, however, um, what the movement towards socialism uh, uh, attempts to do is to take the case to the Constitutional Court. Now, it's important to note that the Constitutional Court, unlike, well, probably unlike any other Constitutional Court in, in the world, uh, is a democratically elected court. Uh, so unlike uh, you know, the US Supreme Court or even the High Court here, where it's politicians who pick who gets to be the judges on those. In Bolivia, it is the people who get to vote, who get to be on that, on that court. What the movement towards socialism does is it goes to the court and it says, look, we believe that there is a contradiction in the existing constitution. Because on the one hand, there's an article that says you can't run for more than two terms, but there's also another article that says no article in the constitution can contravene international treaties. And in particular, they point to the the American Convention on Human Rights, also commonly known as the San Jose Pact, um, with which Bolivia is a signatory, that says there should be no impediments to the right of an individual citizen to be able to run for office. That's their, their legal argument. The Constitutional Court finds in the favour of that case and so therefore paves the way for, for Eva Morales to be able to, to run in those elections. Of course, undoubtedly that was always going to be a a controversial ruling, mm -hmm. but it's certainly nothing that is out of the bounds of what occurs very regularly in, in other functioning uh, democracies around the world, where ultimately it is a court system, whether it be a high court or a constitutional court, that interprets how laws and constitutions are, 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 to, be, are to be implemented. So that's how we get to this, uh, what was an already quite hotly disputed elections, even before the, the elections and, and the vote count takes place. Yeah. And then what happens then? So he... Uh, then runs again, Marlowe's runs again, wins the election, and um, then can you talk us through the events following that? Okay, so le leading up to elections, uh, you have uh, essentially Morales runs as a candidate for the movement towards socialism. Mm -hmm. And as I said, even though it was totally disputed, this, this constitutional court ruling, it, it should be also be noted that all of the parties in Bolivia and all of the candidates in Bolivia, even though they expressed their disagreement uh, with that ruling, uh, opted to participate in these elections. So this was quite different to, for instance, w what occurred in Venezuela mm -hmm. uh, with the last presidential elections where the opposition from the start boycotted and, and did not participate in these elections. All of the political parties participated. And on top of that, the Organisation of American States, who acted as one of the international observer bodies in these elections and would then play an important role in what happens after the elections, also ratified that it saw no problems with Evo Morales being a candidate. So that's, that's the background. Evo's the, the, the candidate. The polls indicate that he's favourite. Second behind him is Carlos Mesa, who I'd mentioned before. He had been the vice president of Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada, who was overthrown in 2003, who then becomes president and is subsequently overthrown in the 2005 uprising. He presents himself as a kind of a moderate centre, presents himself in that framework. You have Oscar Ortiz, who represents the more fervent sort of Santa Cruz-based opposition uh, to, to Evo Morales and, and tries to build a coalition based on 
rebuilding the coalition that essentially had defeated Morales in the constitution. So that's his basic campaign of like, you know, we're, we're for democracy. We are, we are the people who stopped him in 2016 and we're going to stop him again. And then an outsider candidate, which is a candidate commonly known as Chi, uh, he's from South Korean background, um, runs as a candidate of the Christian Democratic Party, but not not only is he a Christian, he really represents evangelical politics um, in in Bolivia, and who really, as an outsider candidate, uh, ends up winning almost ten percent of the vote. So a bit of a surprise packet. But the polls leading up to October twenty indicate that Morales will win. The question is, under the, under Bolivian law, he either has to win fifty percent to win outright, or win more than forty percent and defeat his nearest rival by 10%. Mm. Um, in this case, as the election day approaches, and because it's clear that Morales probably won't get the 50%, at least that's what the polls indicate, but that he is does have a substantial margin, essentially an important section of the opposition who would support Oscar Ortiz uh, ends up coming behind Carlos Mesa as a way of trying to trying to secure a second round. Uh, Oscar Ortiz, in the end, you know, from being a quite a, you know, polls indicating he would do quite well, get, gets less votes than, than Chi, the, the evangelical candidate. Um, the initial results, or what's, an, what's commonly known uh, as the TREP, the quick count, uh, which is essentially just a, a rapid tabulation that's done from figures that are sent in uh, via a mobile phone app uh, to, to the uh, Electoral Commission mm-hmm. on the night of the elections, indicates that uh, as the polls had suggested, that Morales wins, mm-hmm. uh, but indicates that he had got 45%, and uh, Mesa was sitting at 37%. So at that, at that point, 7 to 8% margin, um, not enough to, to secure victory. Although, firstly, to point out that quick count is not an official vote, it's just a, a, a very quick sent figures that have not been uh, verified. And secondly, that quick count is taken at 83% of the vote count. Immediately, Mesa declares this indicates that there's going to be a second round. Ortiz says we're going to back Mesa in the second round. You know, we're going to defeat Morales. Mm-hmm. Morales says, look, let's wait until the rural vote comes in. As, as I've explained, the masses, if, if, if there's anywhere that supports Morales in the mass, it's in the, it's in the rural areas where are the last, which are the last votes to, to be counted. Mm-hmm. When the final votes are finally tallied, we discover that Morales has won by 11.1 or something percent, so that that 10% margin is is is, uh, is achieved, and Morales uh, is declared the winner in in the first round. Yeah. This, of course, leads to a big 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 uproar from the opposition, who who had already declared the second round was going to happen, who had already started to mobilise their, their their forces on the streets uh, to, as they said, to protect against fraud, uh, so much so that they had, in some cities, begun to surround electoral commission officers, setting electoral commission officers on fire, in the process burning some of the ballot um, ballot papers that, um, that had been counted. Um, in order to pacify the country, Morales says, well, look, the OAS is here. They've been participating in the election campaign. Let let them audit, and I accept from the from the get go that whatever the OAS finds is a binding binding on on the result. Uh, the opposition, however, reject that and instead escalate their demands, for, which is no longer for a second round, but essentially for for Evo to resign. So mm. Evo has to go. This continues to polarise to, to, to make more tense the political situation uh, in, in Bolivia. 
uh, more sectors come out in protest against Evo Morales, sectors that were not necessarily against Evo Morales, but uh, as is very common in Bolivia, when big protests happen, each individual sector comes out onto the street to raise their own demands as well, hoping that they may be able to, to achieve something through the negotiation process. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santa Cruz is the, the heart of, of this opposition, where essentially for 20, 21 days, there's an entire strike shutting down the, the city, but it's not the only city of where that happens. A number of the other eastern cities uh, also have quite high levels of strike uh, participation, less so in La Paz and certainly less so uh, in, in, in El Alto. Um, finally, the OIS result, uh, re- releases, well, sorry, just before that, two days before the OIS releases its report, uh, a mutiny also begins within the police force, mm-hmm. uh, which initially begins over pay and stuff, but very quickly and rapidly becomes a call for also for Evo Morales to resign. So it's within this context that the OIS releases this interim report. It wasn't meant to release a report until Tuesday, Wednesday, that's what of last week, but all of a sudden, without any consultation, unleashes this interim report, which if anyone reads it, finds that it's extremely lacking in any real evidence of fraud. Mm. Uh, Essentially, all of the report can say is that it has questions about the quick count, which, as I said before, is not an official count anyway. It it wouldn't, even if that was found to be completely erroneous, it doesn't have an impact on the actual vote tally and and the final vote count. Mm. Um, It also raised certain irregularities at certain electoral tables, but this is something that's not, extremely uncommon in elections and certainly they didn't provide either hard evidence of of where this occurred or certainly that it occurred on a mass scale i mean it would be like for instance here in australia a couple of elections ago a couple of thousand ballot papers went missing in in western australia and they had to read the entire send elections but no one yeah that was certainly an irregularity that occurred in that election but that that was hard to use that to then claim the entire election was 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 null and void yeah. and certainly could be used to justify to to have those elections again in those voting tables but no no real evidence of large-scale fraud or any any irregularities that could be said to have resulted in a different outcome uh, and then it also says unable to a hundred percent verify the final vote count because of the fact that not all the ballot papers uh, are, are available. And, of course, that's because the opposition had succeeded in burning, burning some, them, of, yeah. some of those ballot papers. <laughs> yeah. So its end conclusion, and if you read the report, its end conclusion is it doesn't state that there was fraud. Rather, what it states is that there are irregularities, that there was problems with the quick count, and that what it proposes, and as I mentioned before, Morales was said that he would be happy to find whatever the OIS found as binding, uh, is what it says is that we believe that it's possible that Evo came first. So the OAS doesn't contest that. And in fact, as I said before, none of the opposition parties contested the fact that when the initial result came out of, of, of 45% at 83% of the vote counted, no one said that was in, a, a, an invalid vote. So obviously people agree that Morales came first mm-hmm. and got at least 45% of the vote. Um, but it says that we can't, we can't verify and we believe that it's improbable that he won by 10%. So therefore he they call for a second round election. Evo accepts that. Mm-hmm. He says, that's fine. I, I agree to accept that. Let, 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 in fact, I'll go further in order to pacify the country. I'll call new elections and get a new electoral commission. But by that stage, uh, the, the, you know, well, the, the stage was set for for for, for Morales to re- to resign. What well, we saw in, in the day prior to the release of the report and the day of the report was a massive escalation of violence, particularly targeting leaders of the mass, in particular, uh, not just 
Evo Morales, but also the Vice President, number of parliamentarians, basically in, in particular the head of the Senate and the head of the deputies who, who according to the Constitution, would be the next in line were Morales to be either forced out of power or, or to resign. Attacks on family members occurred, burning down of their houses. A number mm. of them had their family members kidnapped. And then the military publicly came out and said that they believed that Morales, Morales should resign late, later that day. Morales announces that, that, that he, he would resign, but makes it very clear that he, he's, he feels that he's being forced to resign in order to protect the physical integrity of his family members who have mm. been threatened with had their houses burnt down, and that not just of his family, but of family members of other other mass leaders, and hopes that by resigning, that hopefully there can be some some pacification in, in of the of some some peace restored or some stability restored in the country. However, as we've seen since subsequent to that, it's it's not exactly gone gone in that direction. Yeah, no, not at all. And um, could you tell us a little bit about then the people who've now assumed power in Bolivia, including um, Janine Añez, the woman who's kind of declared herself uh, president, and and what's been happening um, since then? So essentially what we have is Eva Morales as president resigns. Next in line would be Avaro Garcia Linera um, as the vice president. He also resigns. We also have the resignation of the head of the Senate and the head of the Chamber of Deputies. If all of them resign, then ultimately it goes to the to the to the court to just essentially just call a new new election. Um, but instead of following any of that constitutional sort of chain of command, um, what we see is that the opposition, particularly um, the, the who who has become the kind of the key public face of this opposition movement, uh, Luis Fernando Camacho, the head of the Civic Committee of Santa Cruz, which is essentially a, a, a pro-business uh, organisation in Santa Cruz, but that presents itself as sort of a, a, a sort of a civil society organisation representing the, the citizens of the of the city of, of Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that the, the protests have to continue; that it's not enough that Evo is gone. That what we need is to ensure that a transitional government um, comes into comes into power. And Camacho himself comes from a, a long background of far right politics. The Santa Cruz Civic Committee has, you know, long had links not just links with business class, political class, but also far-right organisations, uh, neo-Nazi org- organisation. Himself is also strongly evangelical. Um, he, one of his famous things he's done in the midst of all of this was when, you know, he, he said that, uh, as, as he famously said, that what he's needed to get rid of Morales is someone with balls and he, he's, he's the man to do it, um, that he would go to, to La Paz with Evo's resignation letter and, and force him to resign. Uh, once Evo resigns, he goes into the to the old presidential palace with a Bible in hand and says that, you know, Pachamama, the you know, indigenous sort of uh, word or term used for, to, for, for Mother Earth uh, would never again be in, in, this, in this building again and that once again <laughs> Bolivia belonged to Christ. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, that's a good sign. of the kind of the, the politics and the people that are being spearheading the sort of protest movement against yeah. uh, Evo Morales, a, a political class, an economic class that not just angered at the most recent electoral results, although they've obviously capitalised the discontent over what occurred in the lead-up to and of the election results itself, mm. but really who have sought, whose primary aim, primary, primary aim is to wipe out 14 years of, of Indigenous government uh, in Bolivia and to return Bolivia back to that situation where Indigenous people not only, you know, not 
not allowed to be in the presidential palace, but you know, not allowed to be in parliament, not allowed to be back in the old days when they weren't even allowed to be in the plaza or out the front of Congress, mm. you know, and basically marginalised uh, back, back to the back to the countryside. Uh, as this is unfolding, the opposition look for a way of trying to gain some level of institutional cover. Uh, what they discover is that um, uh, Janine Añez, who's from uh, the Unidad Nacional, a centre-right party that has supported Mesa uh, in elections, although she herself has certainly more, you know, evangelical, certainly, you know, hard-right Christian uh, politics, who is the second vice president of the Senate, um, claims that therefore that they are the next in that she is the next in line to assume the presidency she assumes the president uh, assumes the firstly the presidency of the senate and i mean the pictures that you see of the senate is farcical because the, the movement towards socialism continues to be the largest party in both the senate and the chamber of deputies so you essentially a almost completely empty uh, senate chamber five or six senators there swearing in her as the president of the senate and as as a result of that, she you know, self, self-proclaims herself to be the, the new president uh, of Bolivia, or certainly at least the, the, in, the interim president. Were one to accept that this was somehow constitutional, what had occurred, and I think it's extremely dubious um, to, to, to claim, to, to make that claim, but even if one were to accept the, the idea that somehow um, th- th- this claim was valid. The constitution is pretty clear that in the whole point of this interim government is to basically work towards convening new elections within 90 days, um, and that's pretty much it. It's essentially akin to you know what here in Australia you know you refer to as the caretaker government. Once elections have been called, you don't really not really allowed to start doing any big policy changes or, or whatever because the whole point is that now it's it's an electoral campaign, um, and that the new government is the one that you know is, is meant to, to to take the reins and decide what the direction of the country irrespective of that what we're seeing is exactly what was to be expected from the kind of transitional government that the right wing wants knowing that they can't defeat uh the movement towards socialism in the ballot box uh, it's basically begun a, a campaign to try to terrorize detain force into exile um the, the main leaders of its party so we've seen um the new minister for the interior coming out saying that it's got a, a list that it's going to publish of, of what it, it, it deems to be uh, mass deputies and, and mass senators who are guilty of subversion and that set up a, a special body in the prosecutor's office to basically hunt these people down and to detain them and to put them in jail uh, for sedition for terrorism it's also said it's got a list of journalists both bolivian and foreign journalists that it also claims are responsible for the sedition and that it's also going to uh Hunt, hunt these people down. Um, it has literally named some of the ex-ministers, including uh, uh, Quintana, um, the, the former minister of the of the presidency and minister of government, uh, saying that you know we're we're going to you know you better start running because we're going to hunt you down. So there's this you know this combined with uh, essentially a decree that has given the green light for the military and police to use any and any to use every and any action it feels necessary to repress protesters without fear of any legal repercussions mm-hmm. essentially green lighting uh the the shooting of of protesters that the day after this decree was was brought in saw nine nine people killed in in sakaba um which is in cochabamba where coca you know the Eva morales is, uh, Coca Grower Unions was mobilising to try to get to the city of Cochabamba to protest against uh, the, the the coup in in, in Bolivia. We've seen 
uh, political decisions being made by this interim government to try to reverse uh, the direction of where the country uh, is heading, everything from removing Bolivia from, from ALBA, the Bolivarian Alliance of our Americas. It's a, a project of which Bolivia was a founding part of together with Venezuela, Cuba, uh, Nicaragua, a um, number of other Central American countries. Uh, it's expelled the Cuban doctors and other Cuban functionaries um, that were in the country providing healthcare, education, many other uh, services. It goes on and on and on, the, the, the kind of announcements that, that, have, that, have, that have been made. What has yet to be made, though, is any real announcement about date or, or, or what these new elections will look like, with the exception that the Añez um, has said that Eva Morales and Garcia Linera will not be allowed to stand uh, in these elections and has also f flagged the idea that the movement towards socialism as a party might be prescribed from being able to participate in, the, in these elections, arguing that because they had committed electoral fraud, um, that therefore they shouldn't be allowed to run, even though, as I said, there's been no actual no evidence, evidence presented yeah. of that fraud and certainly there's been no court case or actual legal legal. Um, uh, legal case that, that's been put forward in any court to actually find find the movement towards socialism guilty of, of anything, or either, either as a party or individuals um, from from that party of involvement in, in the fraud. So, really, what we're seeing is what what is trying to be imposed now is the, uh, uh, give an institutional colour to a coup that wants to uh, er eradicate or certainly dent the political power of the movement towards socialism so that whenever next these new elections accord, be they 90 days, which is unlikely, be they sometime early next year, they can be declared to be free and fair elections because essentially the, the movement towards socialism has, has been completely nobbled, if not banned from being able to run and run those elections. And mm. in that case, you can, you can be certain that it'll be one of the opposition parties that, that win those elections. It's um, quite ironic, though, because, <laughs> you know, here they are, um, they're not holding f free and fair elections now, they're banning the mass from participating. But if you read the headlines in most of the Western media, we'd, you'd think, oh, well, this is democracy returning to Bolivia. Uh, and there's been a real reluctance to call it a, a military coup, which is obviously what it is. Um, instead, we are hearing a lot about democracy and the will of the people. <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and much worse, I'd go a step further with some of the media coverage is, is not just refusing to really call what has occurred by its name, yeah. um, which is a coup, but also implying, giving, in, in attempting to try to give some legitimacy to this coup government and pretend that it has some constitutional backing or some, some legal backing, saying that were anything to happen bad in in Bolivia in the next period, it would be Evo Morales' fault for <laughs> essentially not accepting that he's been you know, that he's gone and he's no longer in, in power. Yeah. And you see many of many of, of the different you know, the Guardian being one of the latest examples of the with its Sunday Sunday newspaper, The Observer, saying, Well, you know, there hasn't been a coup yet, but there might still be one because Evo Morales uh, might try and might try and uh, in, implement a coup to return himself in right. into power. So <laughs> So it's where every, everything black black becomes white. But as I said, the, the whole point really is, you know, is this idea of well, if you can't if you can't defeat the movement towards socialism in, in the ballot box, is is create a transitional administration, basically ch change the balance of forces, change use that use that state power to change the balance of forces, change the rules of the games, and ensure that 
you can then give yourself, knowing that you could probably get away with this for six months at least without any real pressure coming to bear from any international bodies, from the OAS, from the UN, from the United States. You know, perhaps if this was to drag on for more than six months, you might see some kind of pressure, but even then it's it's doubtful. Um, they would always use the argument as the as the Bolivian, you know, the coup government is, is arguing now, um, of that what they are what they're involved in is a war against terrorism a war being funded by narco traffickers you know all, all of the key buzzwords that you always hear mm. in order to justify repression and, and murder of, 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 of protesters and civilians uh, is being used today um, but what they want to be able to do is that so some somehow in six months time they can have new elections and go oh, look 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 how great Bolivian Bolivian democracy is once again you know it's been finally it's been it's been saved um, when really all we're going to have is is a restoration of, of of the old uh, only only possible through through the use of, of, of extreme repression, uh, be that actual brutal police and military repression, or by essentially banning or jailing uh, or forcing into exile political political leaders. Mm. And when there's been military coups in other Latin American countries, um, obviously the, the what was kind of a failed coup in Venezuela comes to mind. Um, the US has, you know, more often than not been involved. Is that a factor here? Was there foreign involvement in this coup? Look, I, I think it's been, so I would say two things to that. Firstly, as, as the old saying goes, you know, where, you know, the, where, wherever there's a US embassy, there's, there's almost likely to be a coup. <laughs> um, uh, US involvement in Bolivian politics I think from the start of this interview I raised, you know, about how Evo Morales basically, you know, cut his teeth in political or union organising against the, the drug enforcement yeah. agency. In, in 2002 in his election campaign, the US ambassador at the time said that if Bolivians voted for Evo Morales that the US would cut off aid to, to the country. So the US has always been involved in, in Bolivian politics um, openly and, and, and behind the scenes. Um, but I think that's the first point to to. to to pretend otherwise, you know, seems you know seems to just ignore essentially, you know, as more than a century of of, 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 of this kind of foreign policy that the US has had uh, in Bolivia. I think it's it, it's also been you know there there's information coming out of the links that some of the heads of the general of the military and the police had in, with the US in terms of having previously served as attaches in the Bolivian embassy in the United States or or participated in excuse me, in School of the Americas, um, US military training programs, things like that. So I, I, I imagine there's already some of that information out there mm-hmm. and there'll only be more. I mean, unfortunately, the reality is that most of this information won't come out until mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years and, and people will feign surprise at it and say, oh, we can never allow this to happen again. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, unless, unless things change, it'll probably continue to, to happen because it's exactly what, what happened with Chile, that everyone denied that there was any US involvement. And then, you know, 20 years later, people were like shocked and, and said we could never allow this to happen. And yet today, it's... If, if not exactly the same, certainly something similar is happening, and yet you know there's a, a discussion about whether US is involved. But but the, the one thing I would add to that though is that irrespective of how much weight or how much direct involvement the US may or may not have, I think it's it's important to not um, to not simply say that everything that has happened in Bolivia is due to what the US has been orchestrating. There's no doubt that there is. You know, economic and political interest in Bolivia that have wanted to get rid of the, the movement towards socialism, that see it as a as a threat to its economic and political interests. There's also no doubt that there is an old traditional class that 
has always looked warily on the movement towards socialism. I, I always describe it, and, and it's not untrue, um, and that is a, a more white, a more privileged middle class that has always in the back of its mind considered, geez, we've been treating these indigenous people badly for so long, what happens if one day they get into power? And, mm. that, and that fear became a reality for some of them with Eva Morales in, in the presidential palace. So, many, you know, many of them who had Indigenous people as maids uh, in, in their house and stuff would all of a sudden, you know, not, not talk about politics when the maid was around because mm. there's conspiratorial theories that the maids were everything from agents of the movement towards socialism to providing evidence to Venezuela and Cuba as part of some communist conspiracy to, to take over the continent. And this kind of fear that is not a it has as its material basis in the fact that this 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 section of the middle class has traditionally benefited from the way the old system was structured because they were the ones that had access to jobs in the state bureaucracy. They were the ones that mingled in the same circles of people in power and could use their surnames to get access to jobs, uh, whether that be in the public or private sector. That started to change under the Eva Morales government, where all of a sudden uh, it equally as important as what university you went to was also what trade union you were involved in um, because that also started to open doors as you know these new people started to take over you know ministries started to take over local councils started to take over um, uh, um, uh, government you know offices of governors uh, state state administrations uh, all of these sort of spaces that were previously, you know, closed off to, to the majority of the population were opened up and so people felt, well, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my status uh, in, in, in society. I no longer have that importance that I previously had. And a lot of that is what drove this sort of, you know, really reactionary and racist sort of um, mobilisation, you know, uh, against the Eva Morales government. And I think that's a really important point to note because I, I see some of the people trying to sort of, present the mobilizations as well it's it's a bit more complex you've got to be you've got to understand these were movements for for democracy because eva was trying to hold on to power but this that was really just the, the guise that was used what was if you look at the videos of the people that interviewed at these protests what, what they talk about is not is not democracy i mean that's why they're not interested in the second round that's why they're not out on the streets today demanding the the Anya's regime you know influent elections in 90 days what, what they wanted to do was largely mobilised by anti-communist hysteria, the idea that Morales was going to turn Bolivia into Venezuela, even though, as you pointed out, Bolivia's economy is almost the extreme opposite uh, in terms of growth and, and those kind of figures as to what's occurring uh, in, in Venezuela today. It was an extreme sense of, you know, in, you know this, this Indigenous person doesn't know how to run the country, this sense of having lost their privilege, lost their, lost their status in society. All of these things were really what was motivating a, a, a lot of these projects. That combined with obviously other sectors of society that had genuine grievances uh, with the Eva Morales government, but who felt that oh perhaps if I hang on the coattails of, of these protests, you know I'll get you know I'll get some benefit out of it. Um, and the reality is that well, we're, we're seeing what's happened that it was never going to be some nice centre left administration or, or or something to the left of the must that took power. Um, it was only ever always ever going to be the, the traditional political class, and in this case. The, the far right, who are the ones that, as Camacho, as I said before, you know, uh, as Camacho says, have, have the balls to do what the what the what the other political parties don't, um, and that's that's what they're they're carrying out now. You know, the kind of extreme religious, uh, extreme anti-indigenous 
burning of you know that one thing I haven't mentioned that you know one of the first things that occurred with the with when the coup occurred was police going into the presidential palace taking down the Wapala flag which under the you know the indigenous flag which under the new constitution is seen as essentially the same as the Bolivian flag both of them have the same constitutional status that was taken down footage of police and military cutting off the Wapala flags off their emblems on 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 their uniforms uh, the burning of the Wapala flags in protest this this extreme you know, sort of hatred and racism that was brewing and has just sort of come out, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is what Bolivia is, is, is experiencing now. So it is a, it's a very dangerous situation, um, but it's unfortunately, you know, sort of brushed aside because the, the, for the media, they want to they want to present this semblance of, oh, this, this was all just a, a, a pro-democracy struggle that, yes, it's having its teething problems, uh, but that hopefully will find the right path towards some free and fair elections, which, as I said, will, will by the time that, that comes around and without any of the journalists to report on it will have seen the most important political party essentially uh, if if the right have their way wiped out of the wiped off the political map yeah and i think just yeah touching on what you said before i think bolivia has the largest indigenous population of any south american country and so i think there's naturally a kind of anxiety racial anxiety because the whites and mestizos are so far in the minority um so as you said i think it's kind of been brewing under the surface for a while and has, has just kind of come out. Absolutely, and, and, and you see that in, 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 in particularly in Santa Cruz with the, with the fascist gangs associated with the, the Acrucianista Youth Union, which is basically a, the youth affiliate of the Civic Committee or, that I, of which I've mentioned before and Luis Fernando Camacho is the, the sort of president of that Civic Committee and, and has close relationship and comes from, from that youth union. You know, the group that essentially used, you know, neo-Nazi sort of insignias and, you know, known for being part of you know having you know uh, uh, sort of you know armed thugs going around into into the poorer communities in Santa Cruz to, to beat up indigenous people so that, that extreme racism you know continues to mm, exist yeah. um, and is, is a big big driving force in, in, in what's occurring uh, in Bolivian politics it's what I think you know in large part is driving um, the, the what the what the right wants to do because it wants to basically return you know the society to, to what it was like before of course you know then, then the argument comes. Oh well, now how, how can how can they be racist, or how, how can this be a reactionary mobilisation? Because some of these politicians are the ones that, for instance, supported uh, some of the smaller uh, indigenous communities that have been fighting to protect their um, basically protected areas or reservations in in the Amazon against Evo's attempts to try to destroy their community. Um, but the, the reality is actually there's no contradiction in that at all because they're a mentality that views indigenous people as purely people who live in reserves in in rainforest Mm -hmm. is exactly the kind of racist mentality that is very common in non-government organizations liberal middle-class organizations of course they will pin it as being oh we support indigenous people but it's almost like we only support indigenous people if they fulfill our stereotypical Mm -hmm. you know vision of what an indigenous person is the reality is that indigenous person can be a person who lives in the Amazon, can be an informal trader in, in El Alto, can be a cooperative miner in Potosi, can be a coca grower in the Chapare, can be the president of Bolivia. All of these people are, are indigenous. Um, but, you know, from their viewpoint, it's no indigenous people have a certain role in society and they're happy to support it as long as they maintain that that, that certain role. And so that, I think that's another important aspect of this sort of an argument that, because it also came up with the recent protests just before the elections were also utilised by 
by the right to sort of uh, greenwash themselves about blaming Evo Morales uh, for, for the fires that had occurred in the Amazon. And, I mean, that's, again, a whole big discussion. But what was interesting and what was lacking from the foreign media coverage of what was occurring was how it was that they blamed Evo Morales for these fires. Um, and it wasn't because they were blaming Evo Morales because he was in, in, business, in bed with big agribusiness that was burning down the Amazon. They blamed the Evo Morales government for allowing what is generally referred to in Bolivia as colonisation, although, of course, it's not what we would understand as colonisation, but basically the colonisation of uh, indigenous um, peasants from the west who have migrated to the east in order to seek out land and in order to use the more fertile agricultural land uh, in the east uh, in order to just basically make a living. And as part of their agricultural practices, they've used a practice called chakel, uh, you know, which is basically the burning of, of bush in order to create create farmland. So the whole discourse was really Evo is sending Indigenous people from the West to the East, you know, to basically take over land and look at them. They're, they're destroying our pristine forests and, and our own our own Indigenous groups that, that, that live in the East. Um, that, that was very much the driving force. And you look at the speeches that were given at the rallies in, in, in Bolivia, but none of that gets passed on in the media. Instead, it's just like, oh, look, there's a really big protest and it's about an environmental issue. So obviously all of these protesters must be, you know, really progressive and obviously Evo Morales must be really, really right-wing and an authoritarian uh, 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 dictator. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, how could anyone oppose him, him being deposed? Mm, yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. Is there, are there any uh, closing thoughts that you'd like to um, get in before we finish? If, if I just... Very quickly, just add one last thing. Yeah. Know, I think it's really important uh, to try and disseminate uh, a lot of what's occurred in Bolivia. Now, there, there really is an important struggle. Uh, a struggle that I, f- I think for now is largely probably um, restrained within the confines of defining exactly how these new elections will occur. Um, mm-hmm. One doesn't get the sense that there'll be a complete overturn of this coup, although that can't be ruled out once people are in motion once you know uh, events occur they take on uh, you know a significance of their own and momentum of their own and things can go a lot further than than what is expected but there are really important mobilizations that are happening in in cochabamba with the chapara with the chapara coca growers in el alto with with the the urban poor and the neighborhood committees in that area in potosi in a rural in the west which are also important strong heartlands and particularly the rural areas of those departments that are that are demanding really a restoration of democracy like different sectors have different specific demands of what that means for the coca growers who see evo as one of their own they believe that means evo must return to the presidency for others it's just a a simple demand of uh you know restore constitutional order protesters are saying restore constitutional order and bring these elections as quickly as possible and that they must be able to stand that it's you know that it be able to do so free of you know free of free of this sort of persecution that's underway and i think that's that's really important because that's kind of i feel where the battle is at the moment as i said that doesn't mean it couldn't couldn't go further and we couldn't see you know further mobilizations essentially depose this coup government and and you know go somewhere else but certainly what's being played out right now on the streets is is but is essentially the, the the existence itself of of the movements towards socialism not just as a as a party but as i said a, really a party of a coalition of of indigenous rural organizations of trade unions um that have fought and built up this political instrument over over many years 
years and mm. who, you know, entire livelihoods are, are being threatened, in some cases, literally. Um, so I think being able to get that information, now being able to talk to where you, the opportunity has to just point out some, some of the basic facts, it's it's just not, not at all the case that, for instance, there was any actual evidence of fraud, fraud presented in, in, in the last elections. And it's just a basic fact. Tomorrow there might be some evidence, and if that was to be the case, that would then find, well, let's, let's discuss that. But as up until now, none has been presented. Even the OAS who said they were going to uh, present their full report, because as I said, they've only released an interim report, still haven't presented their full report. And one, it makes you think that really they've got no interest in presenting that, what, what, their, what the outcome of what they wanted has already happened. The rest of that is just sort of, would be a, a waste of time or, 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 or counterintuitive from them to, to come out with a report that would ultimately in the end, as I said, show to definitely, and there's no doubt about this, that the movement towards socialism came first, Evo Morales came first in that election, whether you want to take the 45% figure or the 47% figure, that's a figure that any politician, any political party in the world would be envious of, mm. um, and that it was at least anywhere from 8 to 11% more than its nearest rival. Uh, that political force can't be ignored, and if you want to get rid of that political force, it's going to require a lot of a lot of repression and a lot, and, you know, a, a, a lot of very devious uh, manoeuvres and um, banning of candidates and of political parties in order to do that. And so this would be really important when, as I said, I... Yeah, at some point, I imagine these new elections will happen, and no doubt will be presented as the rest, the, the the culmination of some kind of restoration of democracy, which, if anything, will be the the complete opposite. Mm, yeah. No. Well, thank you so much for um, chatting with us. Yeah, it was very informative. Thank you. <laughs> okay. No, I hope it was useful. Yeah, definitely.